0: Good morning. Um, Today's reading is from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends, you, sends to you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you.
1: It is a joy to be with you again, but let's pray as we come to God's word. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Father God, I pray that for myself as I stand in need just now. And I pray that for all my brothers and sisters gathered here together today. Come to us, we pray and breathe new life in us. Amen. Uh, Well, recently I spent a happy hour on a train reviewing the contact list on my phone. It was a fascinating experience. There were names that was great to remember, names that were evocative of happy times and sad, Names of people who'd passed away, and names of people I couldn't remember for the life of me. (laughs) How many names do you imagine the Apostle Paul would have on his contact list? Well, we get to meet some of them in this morning's passage. You may recall that Paul wasn't actually responsible for planting the church in Colossae. In fact, he confesses that he's never met many of the Colossian Christians in person. And yet, when we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, something quite remarkable happens. Not only are we united to God as our Father in the most extraordinary relationship, we're joined to other people, his people, as brothers and sisters as well. And it's this family feeling that comes through loud and clear in these closing verses of Colossians. So as we visit Colossians one more time this morning, let's think about our spiritual contact list. Fellowship. Fellowship's a word that hasn't worn well over the years. It's kind of become a very churchy sort of word. It almost invariably involves singing coffee after services. But, but in Paul's mind, fellowship is a robust word. It's a, a word that speaks of business partnership. It, it involves sacrificing some of the things you are doing in order to come together to work really hard at something you couldn't pull off on your own. I, I don't know how you view the Apostle Paul this morning. Obviously, he's a great soul winner. He's a pioneer church planter. But he's also a great friend maker. Paul is not a rugged individualist. Read this letter and you'll not cease to be amazed at his capacity for people. Actually, if you read all Paul's letters, you'll discover more than a hundred names of Christian workers who in one way or another have been associated with his ministry over the years. And it's not just their names he remembers, it's them. He remembers where they're from, he remembers what they did together. Now all of this matters because we live in a world that's falling apart at the seams. Just last week the World Health Organization declared loneliness to be a pressing global health threat. Loneliness. Loneliness. I know it's easy for people like me to bang on about the statistics for divorce and suicide and drug abuse and juvenile crime and all that stuff. But perhaps the most alarming trend in our society today is our inability to overcome loneliness. Here we are with all these contacts on our phones, 101 Facebook friends, for those of you who are of a certain age. And yet we feel isolated. There's a deep hunger in our world just to be loved. But look at the sense of community we find here. Think with me this morning about these characters that Paul is talking about. They're not simply pins on a a map in his cell wall in Rome or names on his iPad. They're faces that stand out in his mind. They're important to him, every one of them. And isn't that how it ought to be with us? I know this is frightfully un-English, but just take a moment to look around this morning. Go on, do it now. That actually does involve moving your neck. I am really sorry about that. These are your brothers and sisters. And do you know why they come to church week by week? Well, it could be because of the music. It could be. It could be because of the teaching. Maybe it should be. It could be because of the leadership. No, that's unlikely. (laughs) I'll tell you why they come. They come because of you. They come because of the way we relate together. And don't you think that is so important as we go out this afternoon to invite people to come to our our carol services? What are they going to find when they come? Well, they're going to find music and preaching. But wouldn't it be wonderful if they found community? I'm not sure about the theology here, but are people really going to fall in love with Father God if they can't fall in love with us? And if they don't encounter people who are deeply in love with one another? So that's kind of the big picture that Paul is painting in these closing verses. But as we kind of scan the canvas, I, there are just one or two details I want us to, to home in on, details that catch my eye at least. And here's the first. We are partners together in gospel mission. We're partners together in gospel mission. Just take Tychicus and Onesimus, for example. Paul's sending them to Colossae, not simply to deliver this letter, but look at verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. My activities? What an understated little phrase that is. We might be tempted to think with Paul under house arrest in Rome, there are no activities, but far from it. That The minister may be in chains, but the ministry is as free as ever. So Tychicus and Onesimus will be able to fill the Colossians in with all that's been going on with Paul in Rome. And Paul's point is that he wants these Colossian Christians to know. He's already asked them to pray for him in verse 3. And now he's going to tell them what he wants them to pray for through Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul is a great believer in sharing news. Sadly, today, letter writing is becoming a dying art. The only people who write to me seem to be the HMRC. <laughs> but with the kind of technology we have at our fingertips, not, we, it's easy to know what's going on, not, not just in our church, but in churches all around the world. Isn't it lovely to pray for Christians in Leipzig this morning? I don't even know where Leipzig is, really. And that's why emails from missionaries and friends overseas are so important. Because if we're going to be of any help to them, if we're going to be able to pray for them, we need to know what's going on. We need to know their joys and their sorrows. We're partners together in mission. Just look at some of the descriptors Paul uses in this passage. He talks about beloved brothers, faithful ministers. Fellow workers. Paul's not talking about people he met on a cruise in the Med. He's talking about brothers and sisters who've worked with him in gospel ministry. This morning, just take in Paul's astonishing capacity for sharing his ministry. There are at least 10 people listed in these closing verses. And what's the point? The point is that Paul loves working with other people. He just loves raising up new talent, training up an army of young apprentices to serve the next generation with the gospel. Because we're partners in gospel mission. But then secondly, a second thing that intrigues me about this list is that we're partners in mutual encouragement. Partners in mutual encouragement. Encouragement is a thread that runs all the way through this section. It's particular here in verse 8. Look, I've sent Tychicus to you that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's not just wanting to encourage the Christians. He has a tremendous capacity for encouraging his lieutenants. I don't know if anyone has ever worked for a more appreciative leader than Paul's helpers. Listen again to the way he speaks about them. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice. While others have been a a disappointment to Paul, these Jewish brothers have proved to be a real comfort to him. And the list goes on. Think particularly with me about Epaphras. In verse 12, Epaphras, you may remember, is the evangelist who first planted the church in Colossae. Maybe he's become the pastor teacher there. It's Epaphras who made the long journey to Rome to consult with Paul over the problems with the false teachers. But what Paul says about him in verse 13, I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. Why does Paul need to say that, I wonder? Could it be that Epaphras' ministry has been undermined by the false teacher since his departure for Rome? Whatever, Paul speak delights to speak well of him. There's an old ditty that goes something like this. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost, and all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Now, it seems to me that one nail that has got lost in many a church today is the nail of encouragement. Do you know, no one has ever died through too much encouragement. You can't say lack of encouragement when Paul's around. He's always looking for something good to say, whether it's a a friend who's risked their neck for him or a colleague who shared their life with him or Luke, his personal physician who goes everywhere with him. Their efforts are always received with genuine gratitude. Just how important this ministry of encouragement is, we can see by tracing out one name in particular. I'm thinking about Mark. Have you ever felt like a miserable failure? I guess many of us have. And Mark certainly knows that feeling. He'd accompanied his cousin Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey. And then for some reason or other, he'd lost his nerve, he'd packed his bags, and he'd headed back for Jerusalem. Why? Why? We simply don't know, but there could just be a clue in his name. When Luke first introduces him to us in Acts chapter 12, he calls him John, whose other name was Mark. John, that's his Jewish name, but like lots of other Jews of the time, he adopted a Greek name as well, Mark. It's interesting that when he deserted, Luke called him by his Jewish name, John. Was John Mark having second thoughts about the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, I wonder? Was he getting stick from his friends about his involvement with this dodgy apostle Paul and his reckless law-free mission? Later on, when the Jewish leaders have settled the matter with Paul once and for all, John Mark rejoins the team. Only from now on, he's always called by his Greek name, Mark. Well, if you didn't notice, that was a spot of conjecture. But the big lesson isn't. Mark crashed out of Christian ministry. He needed help, and he got it from Barnabas. And here he is today, back on the front line. And later on, at the end of his life, Paul, the old campaigner, writes to Timothy about the, one the, the once young deserter, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for my ministry. Now, that's the fruit of encouragement. We see it again in verse 17. This time it's the Colossian Christians themselves who are encouraged to do the encouraging. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Who is Archippus and what is this ministry he's received from the Lord? We don't know. According to Paul's letter to Philemon, he's probably a member of Philemon's household. Maybe even Philemon's son. Is he now one of the elders of the Colossian congregation? Have the false teachers been targeting him in Epaphras' absence? I don't know. Whatever. Paul urges the Colossian Christians to get alongside him. To remind him that his ministry is a very precious gift from God. To urge him to stick at it until the job is done. That's encouragement. Giving a brother the courage to keep going when life is difficult and that's how it should be because we're not just pastors in gossip partners in gospel mission we're partners in mutual encouragement and then there's another part of the canvas that intrigues me we're partners in growing maturity partners in growing maturity what a man Paul is he just never Gives up. Uh, we might think that his demolition of the false teachers is complete, but even now, in these last few lines, he doesn't miss the chance to drive home the implications of the gospel. What has this letter all been about? It's all been about going on with the Lord Jesus, being rooted in him, growing up in him. Remember how Paul put it back in chapter 1 Him we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in in Christ. That's been Paul's aim all along. He wants to see every member of the Colossian church becoming well-rounded, mature followers of the Lord Jesus. That's what makes the false teachers so dangerous, that they're offering all the thrills and excitements of spiritual adolescence with no prospect of growing up. But Paul wants something better, something deeper, something richer for his friends in Colossae. He puts it like this in uh, chapter 1. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what Paul's been after. Well, that was back in chapter 1. But notice how he manages to slip that thought in again here in these final greetings. Come with me to verse 12. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Why? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Today there are all kinds of ideas swirling around that offer the secret to success in the Christian life in three pain-free steps. But they never deliver. They always disappoint. I love the way that Paul never himself grows beyond the gospel. He doesn't grow beyond it, he grows into it more and more deeply, more and more fully as the Lord Jesus takes possession of him. I don't know about you, but I simply can't forget falling in love with the Lord Jesus. Because it's only in him, only as I receive him as Lord and keep on receiving him as Lord, it's only as I continue to draw my life from him that I will be able to mature into a fit and healthy disciple. But listen... This is no mere apostolic rhetoric or needless repetition. Paul is deadly serious. We must receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And every single day we must keep on continuing to live in him. It's got to be a lifelong commitment. And I say that because lurking between the lines of this passage is a spiritual time bomb. Come with me to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. As does Demas. That's the only mention Demas gets in this passage. In Philemon, he's called Paul's fellow worker. But the next time we get to hear of Demas, Paul has these haunting words to say. Demas has deserted me because he loved this world. Demas has deserted me because he loved this world. We've already seen how Mark came tumbling out of Christian ministry at one point. Demas is different. He walks out on Paul and more seriously he walks out on the Lord Jesus. And all for love of this world. What do we need to do to drift away from Jesus? The answer is nothing. In order to drift, we don't need to do anything. Could that be happening here this morning, I wonder? We maintain a veneer of Christian commitment. We come along to all the right events. We know how to use all the right words. We manage to continue to create the right impression but all the time our hearts are slipping away. Someone has rightly observed that collapse in the Christian life is seldom caused by a blowout. It's usually a slow leak. And it is. And I wonder if even now Paul suspects that the seeds of Demas' downfall are germinating in his heart. So it's not for nothing that he keeps on urging us To keep on keeping on. Every morning when we wake up, we need to decide all over again that we're going to follow Jesus today. And we're going to ask him for the grace to pull it off again today. Because if we don't, we might do a demus. Remember this letter is written to a church as a whole. And dear brothers and sisters, we just need to keep on encouraging each other, to keep pressing on every time we meet, whether it's on Sundays or growth groups or in coffee shops or wherever we bump into each other. Remember, we're partners in growing maturity. But how do we do this? What lies at the heart of this kind of togetherness where we serve each other and encourage each other? What what kind of informs our minds and captivates our hearts? Well, unsurprisingly, Paul slips in a couple of clues. And you'll never guess what they are. The first is praying. He's already highlighted the importance of prayer back in verses 2 and 3. But he comes back to it again in verse 12, look. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. What is it that impresses Paul about this man Epaphras? He may be sharing Paul's cell in Rome, but nothing can keep Epaphras out of heaven's courts. Because he's a man who just loves to pray. Gosh, don't churches need men like that? Women too. Constant, fervent, believing prayer that looks to God and longs for God to work among us. That's what lies at the heart of every fruitful life and every fruitful church. So here's a couple of good questions to ponder this morning. Who are you praying with? And who are you praying for? But if prayer is the first ingredient in this kind of togetherness, the second is reading the Bible. That's a surprise, isn't it? What's Paul's great concern at the end of this letter? Well, it's in verse 16, look. I've written this letter to you. I want you to read it. I want you to read this letter and I want you to read the companion letter I've written to the Laodiceans. Because it isn't simply hearing God's word. It's receiving it, embracing it, believing it, delighting in it and then living it. How did Paul urge the Colossians back in chapter 3? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's one of the tests that Jesus really is Lord, isn't it? That we're listening for his voice and taking it seriously when we hear it. So as Paul winds up his letter with these final greetings, he gives us a a glimpse into the kind of dynamic network that the gospel produces. You can't miss it, can you? Paul, Epaphras, Tychicus, the Colossians, they're all partners in this one momentous enterprise. The task of proclaiming. The Lord Jesus, and, and living out his life in this fallen world with joy and confidence. And the big lesson that leaps out is that this is not a job for one gifted individual, not even an individual as gifted as Paul. Now it's a team game, a game in which we all have a part to play. But more than that, Paul himself is human. He's never afraid to show his vulnerability and he does it here right at the end of this letter. Look, remembering he's in chains in Rome just now, listening to the closing line, verse 18, remember my chains. Never underestimate the sheer comfort Paul draws from his friends amidst all the troubles and hardships that are afflicting him just now as we bring our studies in colossians to a close this morning paul's chains have long since rusted away but his ministry lives on his words ring out to us this morning as you've received christ jesus as lord so walk in him If you're a Christian this morning, you are complete, wonderfully complete right now. God has nothing more to give you than he's already given you in the Lord Jesus. Don't go searching for some higher spiritual experience. Just grow where God has planted you, in Christ. And encourage your brothers and sisters to grow in him alongside you. And if you're not a Christian yet this morning... Please will you come. Please will you come to the Lord Jesus now. Come while there's still time. Come because of who he is. The firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. And that includes you. No one else can give you peace with God. Just Jesus. No one else can give you a life that counts for eternity. Just Jesus. No one can give you the promise of a home forever with Father God. Just Jesus. Come to him this morning. Let me urge you to welcome him as your Lord. Confess that you've kept him at arm's length for far too long. Kneel before him and tell him that you need him now. Receive the life that he delights to give you. And then come. Spot your name on God's contact list. Let's pray. Father God, we stand in awe of this mighty saint of God, the Apostle Paul. Humanly speaking, in a very real sense, we are here this morning because of him. But Father, thank you that he was the man he was and he did the things he did because of the wonderful work of Jesus in his heart and in his life. And we thank you that the Lord Jesus who made Paul the man he was is the Lord Jesus who can make us the people you want us to be. Lord Jesus, we kneel before you in awe and wonder this morning. We kneel before you with emptiness that needs to be filled, with sins that need to be washed away, with fears that need to be allayed, with hopes that need to be realised. Lord Jesus, as we kneel before you, would you come and embrace us afresh today? We ask this prayer in your name and we ask it for your glory. Amen.